Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now here is today's message. Morning, church. So based on what I saw coming through the doors this morning, I'm thinking that, that uh, up in Buffalo, they're going to be restocking the Bills store this week. That's the, that's the major plan, right? see a lot of new Bills gear, and uh, I am a Bills fan, so I am hoping for good things to happen today. Actually, I'm hoping for one good thing for us and one not-so-good thing for the Miami Dolphins. If you're a Miami Dolphins fan, I'm sorry, but uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Anyway, good to be here with you this morning. Good to have you online. And uh, this is what we call a standalone message. I'm just going to talk about some things today that are not a part of a series, but we will be starting our new series next week. And the teaser you just saw uh, is about that. We're going to be looking at some ways we can uh, address how we feel and the way that we, our attitudes and some things to help us kind of get the, the year off to a, a good start that way. So, but before we get into the message today, I'd like to take one more moment to stop and, and uh, offer up some prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Well, Father God, we do, as we've mentioned already several times, we give you thanks for the ways that you have walked with us through this past year. You have been faithful. You always are. Every single day, every single moment of every single day, you promised to be with us, and you have been, and you have carried us through this year. You've been with us in the high moments and in the low moments and, and in the confusing moments and the rejoicing and the sadness, all of it. And we know because you have been faithful, you will continue to be faithful. So Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for gathering us together to worship, whether it's here in person or online. Um, we're here because we love you, Jesus, or we're seeking you, or somebody is encouraging us to. But for all those reasons, we come together this morning and we ask your blessing on that. We pray, Lord, that you will use this time to, to build us up, build us up in our faith, um, bring us to know Jesus as our Savior. If we don't, help us to be more solid in our faith and our understanding of, and our beliefs. When we leave here this morning, help us to, to, to just feel and experience your goodness, your strength, your power in our lives so that when you send us out of here at the end of the morning, at the end of this time of worship, which is so brief and will go by so quickly, Lord, that you'll send us out prepared and ready to do your will and to carry out the, the mission that you have given us to share your love with the people around us in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our places of work, wherever you put us. We want to be representatives of you, Jesus. We want to represent you well. So help us to do that. And we will give you the glory for all of it and everything you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Well, something, you know, just for fun. Oh, I wanted to mention before I do that, uh, this week, because it is the first Wednesday, and it kind of snuck up with Christmas and all of that, but this week is the first Wednesday, so uh, we will have centered this week, 6 o'clock, and that is our time of prayer and worship right here. It's about an hour. We always sing praise songs, and we take time to pray, sometimes do some meditations as well um, from Scripture, but uh, just love to have you come if you're looking for something in the middle of the week to to kind of recharge your spiritual batteries six o'clock here uh, this Wednesday so now just something just for fun I tried this last night they encouraged me to to do it again this morning so uh, if you don't like it blame them not me this is on them little quiz gets you thinking this morning how do you put a giraffe into a refrigerator open the door and put it in, okay? This is a question that tests how you tend to complicate things instead of keeping them simple. Second question, how do you put an elephant into a refrigerator? If you said open the refrigerator door, put in the elephant and close the refrigerator door, you're wrong. You open the refrigerator door, take out the giraffe, and then put the elephant into the refrigerator and close the door. This question tests your ability to consider the consequences of your previous actions. Third question. The Lion King is hosting an animal conference. All of the animals attend except one. Which animal does not attend? That's right. The elephant does not attend. This tests your memory. The elephant is in the refrigerator. Last question. There's a river you must cross, but it is used by crocodiles and you don't have a boat. How are you going to get across? You jump in and you swim across. All of the animals are at the Lion King's conference. There's no crocodiles in the river. All right, this question uh, measures whether you learn quickly from your mistakes. So uh, I hope you did well on that and uh, I hope just take it for fun, but it does kind of lead into what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about wisdom. I want to talk about knowledge and, and how the God and, and God's teaching through the Bible, through Scripture, often cause us to think differently than the world at large. And that's what we're going to talk about. And the message title is, Let's Turn Things Wrong Side Right in 2024. You know, there's a dilemma, there's a conflict, a dilemma, a tension that exists in most of us. And that tension, I thought, was, was well put by Carl Sandburg. He said, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. And, and I think that's true, isn't it? That within us, there's this tension between the parts of us, right? The, the parts of us that just want to, to soar like the eagles and achieve things and conquer things and go out there and, and live a full life. And then there's the part of us that just wants to wallow and get stuck. And, you know, we, we just kind of get into the grime and, and we stay there. And, and we're in the tension of that. And that's true. Even for those of us who are Christians, there is a tension in us between our sinful nature, which still exists, even though I've given my life to Christ and he has forgiven my sins, I still, there's a part of that sinful nature that kind of still was in, at work within me and wants to reclaim territory, if you wants to reclaim ground. And then there's a part of me that because I'm in Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in me, just wants to soar, wants to live all, you know, it's kind of like we sing, you know, I give you all of it, Lord, right? I give you everything. And I'm thinking as we sing uh, that song, do I, you know? 
Do I just freely give everything to God or are there parts that I'm still kind of clutching and holding on to and, and I'm struggling to let go of, right? And that's the tension that exists in us. Paul knew this tension well in a familiar passage from Romans 7. He said, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And I'll bet some of you can, can relate to that. I, I know these things. I don't want to do that. I don't want to react with those harsh words when somebody says something to me that really, you know, kind of pokes at me. I, I want to respond with kindness and patience and love. And yet there's a part of me that does respond with harshness. Right? Or at least inside of me, there's that tension that I, I battle against, right? So the Bible often teaches us that we need to think about doing what is opposite of what might come naturally or what might come instinctually, right? There, there are, there's a lot of places in life where we need to think about um, putting on Christ, as the Bible says. We put on Christ. So I want to act, I want to live, and I want to feel, I want to, I want to do things in the way of Christ, not in the way of that sinful nature of mine. That often is contrary, again, to what the world might tell us to do, right? The world might tell you, oh, you know, if you feel that it's gotta be true, just go with it, go for it, right? Express it, live it. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible often teaches us to do the opposite. So for example, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's a teaching that, that a, lot of, a large part of the world might struggle with because a large part of the world might say, you know, your mission in life is to go out there and find what makes you happy. Just go out there and, and search for it and find what makes you happy. I was reading a story, uh, uh, an account actually, true account from a woman. I don't believe she was a Christian. She was just writing and uh, I happened to come across her story. And she said she moved to New York City because she was looking for a new life. She was looking to find her purpose and, and be fulfilled and be happy and be content and all of those things. And, and things started out pretty well in New York City. She was happy and she was experiencing all of the, the glamour and all of that that she, she found there. But after a while, she discovered she was wrestling with the same old problem she had before she moved there. So she up and moved to Denver, Colorado. She thought, I'm just going to get far away from New York. I'm going to go to a completely different kind of place, and maybe I'll find my happiness and contentment there. And for a while, she did. But then uh, shortly after she moved there, she started experiencing the same problems, same difficulties. Why? Because she was taking herself. You know, she was taking herself everywhere she went. And the problem is an internal problem. It's not a little, it's not a geographical problem. We can't just move and expect that everything is going to come together for us without changing what's going on on the inside. So Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you might think if you want to find your purpose, your happiness, your contentment, um, if that's what you're searching for without me, you're going to lose it all. But if you will find it in me, you will actually achieve it. You know, a psychology tells us that, that searching for happiness the way most people do is a futile, a futile venture. If you, if, because most people, when they say, I'm searching for happiness, they're searching for the feeling of happiness. I want to feel happy. I want to feel happy every day. I want to get up, and the sun is shining, and the birds are singing, and I'm raring to go, and, and my heart is just pumping with excitement. I want to feel that every day. And psychology says that's a mistake, because if that's what you're, if that's what you're chasing, it's like Wile E. Coyote. Remember Wile E. Coyote, the roadrunner? 
If you're my age, you, you watch this growing up a lot, right? And what do you know about Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner? Wiley Coyote thought his happiness was in catching the Roadrunner. I'm just gonna chase that Roadrunner, I'm gonna chase him, I know as soon as I catch the Roadrunner, I'm gonna be happy, everything is gonna be fine. And what do we know? Wiley Coyote never catches the Roadrunner. He just lives a life of constant frustration and anger and, and discontent, chasing something he will never get. When we chase the feeling of happiness, we are not going to get there. That's, and that's not just Bible, psychology says that. In fact, I was reading a study from the University of California, Berkeley, and they said this, that desperately wanting to be happy is linked with lower psychological health. Instead of focusing on feeling happy, we should define our values, discover our strengths and talents, develop positive relationships, do for others, and live in the present day. Does that sound like biblical teaching to you? Because it sounds like biblical teaching to me. It sounds like exactly what Jesus would tell us to do, right? Millard Philip, Millard, I always want to say Millard Fillmore. Millard Fuller, <laughs> Millard Fuller was as a young man, um, he, was, he was intent on becoming rich. That was his one goal. His single goal was to become rich. He wanted to be a millionaire. And he achieved it by the age of 29. He was. He was a millionaire. But his life was falling apart. His marriage was falling apart. He was not happy. He was discontent. Nothing was going well for him. He was a Christian. He took some mission trips to Africa. And in the course of those, God gave him a vision. And the vision was sell your, your stately home, sell your, you know, your, your manor, this nice place that you live, move your family into a much more modest home and begin a service to people who are homeless. Millard Fuller began Habitat for Humanity. He devoted his life to building houses for people that couldn't afford them. He found his fulfillment and his purpose in doing for others. Now, Scott Hosey uh, shared that story, and, and he added this, quoting him. He said, someone once asked a pastor who had talked about Fuller's story, how old were Fuller's children when he quit his job like that? The inference was that it wasn't right for a wealthy man to ask his family to live less lavishly than they could just so he could serve God. It took this preacher a minute to appreciate what lay behind the query. How dare Fuller uproot his kids and subject them to a less lavish lifestyle just so that he could serve God? And that's just the way lots of people think these days. Taking up a cross to follow Jesus is even economically for some as unpopular now as ever. Did you hear that? You know, how could you? You got to, your kids are living in this beautiful stately home with all the everything, you know, it's just wonderful. And you make a move out of that to this this home, this less wonderful, stupendous, glorious home? How could you do that? Well, you do that for Jesus, right? You do that because God caused you to that. But you see how the world could really kind of question that. The world could say, well, that, that's ridiculous. You know, you've got millions. Why, why would you give your money away just to build houses for poor people? But that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus calls to. You want to find your life? You want to find your life? Give it to me, he says, and you will. So here's my main point. Main point today, Jesus calls us to live a life that may often seem wrong side out to the world, but is actually our path to a more fulfilling life now and eternally. What Jesus calls us to is something that really uh, is paradoxical. And I, I love paradox. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with paradox, but a paradox is, is when you take a, uh, two statements that seem to contradict each other, but actually they are true. Okay, so for example, uh, the more I learn, the less I know. That's a paradox. 
It, it seems contradictory, but it's true. Think about it. The more you learn, the more you understand how much there is you don't know. So the more you learn, actually, the less you know. When, when, you know, when you're five and you think you know everything, right? Um, then you're 25 and you realize that mm, you don't know so much anymore, right? Uh, that's a paradox. The only constant is change. That's a paradox. The only constant, the only thing that's going to happen over and over and over and over again is change. In order to succeed, you have to fail many times. Thomas Edison, you know the story. He failed 10,000 times to make a light bulb before he succeeded. Failure is part of success. That's a paradox. The more choices we have, the less happy we will be. That's a paradox. Think about it. If there were two phones to choose from, right, you'd pick one and you say, okay, I picked this one, I didn't pick that one. If there's 15 phones from, to choose from, what do you do? You buy one and then a few weeks later you're saying, man, I, want, I should have bought the other one. I want, why didn't I, you know, this one does this, but that one, and, and then there's another one that does something else. And I remember J.R. Krause coming home and he was a missionary, is a missionary right now in Ecuador. And, uh, and I remember him coming home once on a, on a leave. And he said they would go into grocery stores and they'd go into the cereal aisle, his family, and they would just be totally dumbfounded. They, they didn't know what to do because there were so many choices. And where they were serving in Peru, you know, there might be three kinds of cereal. We have, what, 30 kinds of cereal? Probably more than that, right? So we think that the more choices we'll have, the happier we'll be truth is the more choices we have usually the less happy we end up being we're more connected now than ever and we are lonelier than ever that's a paradox you have a phone in your pocket you can connect you have a thousand contacts in your phone right people you can contact people you can call you can connect with people online all the time right and yet the fact is that we are lonelier as a people than we have ever been that's a paradox some biblical paradoxes. When we surrender to God, we win the victory. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's possible to feel great joy and great sadness at exactly the same time. You know, Christian grief is like that. Christian grief, we, we can feel great sadness and great joy in the very same moment. Sheldon Van Auken uh, wrote, he Christian man, wrote about the loss of his wife, the death of his wife, and he said this, thinking about some things that they had shared. He chuckled at the memory, and then in the instant, tears were burning in his eyes and rolling down his cheeks. That was always the way of grief, laughter and tears, joy and sorrow. Christian life is very paradoxical when you think about it. And, and we don't like to think about it sometimes because we like things to be simple, right? Just give me simple answers. Tell me A, B, C, instead of having to think through these kinds of things and what they mean for us. You know, the, the, the nature of God is a paradox. God is three persons, one substance. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's one God. Try to explain that to your non-Christian neighbor, right? It's hard. I, can't, I, I struggle to explain it, but I believe it. The Bible teaches it. I know it to be true, but I can't necessarily explain it. Or try to explain the nature of Jesus. Jesus is fully God, fully human. He's not sometimes God, sometimes human. He's not a little bit of God and a little bit of human. He is fully God, 100%, and fully human, 100%. That is a paradox. 
You see, and we want to take those things and we want to simplify them. So religions come up and say, well, you know, no, Jesus isn't fully God. Actually, he was just a man and God put his spirit in that man. But he's not really fully God. And the other ways that, that religions try to explain that, but this isn't, the Bible teaches us very clearly who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully human. It's a paradox. Don't try to explain it away. You don't have to. Embrace the mystery of it. Embrace the paradox. Embrace those things that we don't understand. That's what humility is about. Humility is the ability to say, I don't have the capability to completely understand this, but I trust the God who's revealed it to me. That's humility. And that's what we need to do is embrace paradox and embrace humility. One of the places that we see um, humility lived out is in, of course, the life of Jesus. And I want to read Philippians 2 the first 11 verses to you. This is really a kind of Christmas story. It begins with Paul uh, asking us to emulate Christ. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, God, created everything came here, humbled himself, took the lowest position you could take in that culture at that time, which was to, to go to the cross as a criminal and be crucified. And for that reason, God the Father exalted him to the position higher than all other positions. And one day the entire universe is going to bow down to Christ. He's in the highest position of all. Jen Pollock Michelle said, the firstborn of all creation became last and humanity's life was found in God's own losing. That's paradox. That's paradox. So let me share with you a couple other biblical paradoxes, and we'll just talk about them briefly. The paradoxical way to greatness and honor is by not seeking them. That's what we've just been talking about. Instead, it's by seeking to give of ourselves. Do you want to be honored by God? Do you want to be esteemed by God? The way to do that is to become a servant to others, to love others with the love of Christ. In the last week before his crucifixion, Jesus told his followers, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wasn't the first time or the last time Jesus had to communicate this message to his followers because they struggled with this. They thought that by attaching themselves to Jesus, they could become something really great and powerful that the world would look to. And Jesus kept telling them, listen, you don't get it. I want you to become servants of one another. I don't want you to be aiming for greatness. I want you to aim for humility. Let God exalt you. 
At one point, he brought a little child over to them and said, whoever takes the lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I just finished a book by Brant Hansen titled Blessed Are the Misfits. I really enjoyed it and I would encourage you to read it. If you ever feel like a misfit in church, like, like other people are getting something and you're not getting it, um, or especially if you're introverted, uh, this is a book that you may really enjoy. Uh, towards the end of it, Hansen tells about a scene that he imagines in his mind. He, he imagines this Christian conference taking place and all of these high-powered Christian leaders are at the conference. It's packed, it's packed, this arena. And uh, God is searching among the attendees for someone to use. And he sees all these charismatic, dynamic thought leaders and one by one he dismisses them from consideration. And then after the lights go out and everyone has left, a 50-something-year-old Hispanic woman comes in and begins picking up the garbage that they left. And God looks down at her and he smiles and he says, ah, that's the one I can use. That's the one. You see, if we want to be great in God's kingdom, we become servants. We become humble. Another paradox, it's when we know we're weak and dependent that we find our strength. The paradoxical way to strength, the Bible says, is by acknowledging our weaknesses. The Apostle Paul had that great, incredible vision of heaven. And right after the vision, it says that God gave him a thorn in the side. We don't exactly know what that is, but we know that, that he prayed three times to have God remove it, and God said no three times. And so Paul had to accept that this was something from God that he needed to, to just deal with. But there was a purpose in dealing with it, and the purpose was to keep him humble because he'd had this great revelation that could have led to pride and God wanted him to stay humble. So Paul saw this weakness as, as something God was using in his life and he says in 2 Corinthians, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. You should read that sentence very slowly. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. I can get grumpy when I have a cold, okay? I'm, I, I'm being honest, I can. I can get grumpy over a cold. And yet Paul says, I delight in weakness. I delight in persecution. I delight in struggle. Bring it on, you know? I'm not sure that's quite his attitude, but, you know, it's kind of what it makes me think of. He says, listen, because why? When I'm under those things, I got nowhere to go except God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. When we know our weaknesses, it can lead to a strength. The strength is becoming more dependent on God to supply what we need. Knowing our weaknesses can make us strong. The last paradox I want to mention is this one, the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel is that when we know we least deserve it, we are most ready to receive it, and God is most happy to impart it. Go back to Romans 7 where we began after telling us how hard it was for him to deal with his own sinfulness. Paul says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know anyone who really, including me, enjoys thinking of themselves as wretched. Miserable, sad, distressed, upset, those things, sure. But wretched, that just has this connotation of something really awful, doesn't it? But Paul says, I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched man. In my sinfulness, I'm a wretched man. It's the humility of Paul that leads him to describe himself that way. He's not alone. Blaise Pascal was a brilliant mathematician. 
And he used the same word, wretched. He linked it to greatness. He said, it's wretched to know that one is wretched, but there is greatness in knowing one is wretched. There's a paradox, right? There's greatness in knowing I'm in a wretched condition. For the same reason, there's greatness in knowing that I am weak and powerless because it leads me to Christ. It takes me to Jesus who can deal with the wretchedness in me and make me a new creature, a new person. John Newton knew that. He was a slave trader. And uh, when he, uh, his eyes were open to his sinfulness and his need for God, he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, including the line, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Another paradox. You see, grace opened Newton's eyes to his sinful condition, his wretched condition. And grace, well, grace opened his eyes, seeing his sinfulness and his wretchedness before a holy God, caused him to fear but then God's grace told him that he did not need to fear because through Christ his wretched condition has changed it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved that's the gospel that's the gospel here's a paradox next to God we're really nothing (laughs) right? Nothing of importance, nothing of significance. And yet God considers us so significant and so important that he sends his son to die on our behalf. Psalm 8 in verses 3 through 6, just reading a portion of that says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? And yet you have crowned them with glory and honor. Before he passed away, Charles Colson said, The kingdom of God is a kingdom of paradox, where through the ugly defeat of a cross, a holy God is utterly glorified. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, finding self through losing self. So, if you read scripture this year, if you get a Bible plan and begin reading through, you're going to come through a lot, come to a lot of places where you're going to find paradox. And, uh, and, that's intentional on God's, behalf, on God's part. He, he wants us to, to think through life with Christ. It's, you know, yes, there are some things that are black and white, right? But, but there's a lot that God is asking us to think about and to apply, and that thinking may lead us to a place that, that is not in line with what the world would have us do. I'm going to wrap this up with the words of St. Francis. And, and at the end of this, you'll hear the paradox in this. It's familiar to you, I'm sure. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. This, these are words we may want to apply this year. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we... uh, 
at least some of us can become lazy thinkers, to be blunt. We kind of go along day by day without really applying our mind to understanding what you're asking of us or, or thinking about how we're supposed to live in this world when we live for you. And so as we embark on the beginning of a new year, I pray, Lord, that you would help us with that because it's only by your power and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us that we're going to be able to live out the things that you tell us in Scripture. That sinful human nature of ours is going to pull against that. And we're going to fail sometimes, but we take comfort in the grace and the mercy that you offer to us. And we ask you to, to stand us up whenever we do fail. Give us some direction and guidance. Give us the power and the courage to live for you even when it seems out of step with the world or out of step with what we want in our human nature. Again, we can't do that without your help. So this morning, we're, we're just opening ourselves up to that and asking you, through your Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ in us, make us able, and we will give you the glory, and we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So takeaway is, let's live this year seeking to live for Jesus in all of the weird and wonderful ways that he calls us to live. Thank you for joining us to worship this morning. Remember when you leave here, we're to continue our worship in the way that we live and serve the Lord. So we're not stopping our worship. We're just moving it to new locations. But I pray that you have a wonderful and happy new year. Now to unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So thanks again. Thanks again.